Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cultivating Healthy and Vibrant Workplaces, the podcast. So today, I'm excited to share what I anticipate will be a most fascinating discussion with Brie Groff, a highly sought after thought leader, change agent, consultant, and keynote speaker with SY Partners based in New York. Now, they are a transformation company with a 20 plus year track record of helping great leaders build great companies, often iconic ones. Together, they design cultures of purpose and performance and unlock the human potential of people to lead the transformation. So now in reviewing her bio, Brie is on a mission to help organizations not just embrace change, but get good at it through transformation and innovation, organizational design, and culture enhancement. And she has worked with notable companies, including Calvin Klein, Target, Google, Microsoft, and Diligent, just to name a few. Not too bad there, Miss Bree. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So before joining SY Partners, she was the CEO of Noble Collective, a global organizational design and change consultancy. She has founded and led an innovation department, advised Fortune 500 companies as a service designer, and explored communication and decision-making as a psychology researcher. In previous careers, she performed as a stage actress, now that's interesting, and taught high school math. She holds an MS in organizational learning and change from Northwestern University and a BA from the University of Pennsylvania. She's also a visiting lecturer at Northwestern. Now, she resides in Manhattan with her husband and seven-year-old daughter and moonlights as an urban gardener when she can. Now, I first learned of Brie through one of her articles on LinkedIn, and I immediately knew she was someone I wanted to feature in our book, and boy, were my instincts on the money. So welcome, Brie. It's truly a delight and an honor to have you on our podcast, and how are you doing today? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so yeah. happy to be chatting with you. Well, you know, I have to ask you, before I get into the very first question, as I'm reading your bio, and I hope you don't mind me asking this, no. um, you, how do you go from a stage actress and a high school teacher to doing what you do today? Yeah, I had some adventures in my 20s is the answer to that. <laughs> so yeah, right out of school, I started teaching, well, first middle school math, and then that was in LA, and I looked around and saw all these actors, and I said, that looks great, like yeah. great fun, and yeah, you know, so spent some time trying to make it as an actor very unsuccessfully, but um, but I was right, it was fun, mm -hmm. and then <laughs> from bet. there, you know, went into teaching high school, um, moved into more instructional coaching and innovation within education. And once I got a sort of a bit by the innovation bug, I then transitioned into innovation consulting. And from there, it's all evolved to be nice. more about people and culture and work. Yeah. I used to be a career counselor, you know, and uh, I'm always fascinated by the career trajectory of people, right? Mm -hmm. And I always say there's no mistakes or accidents, you know, in our careers or our lives, right? Because everything builds on and we learn and we grow and evolve, right? And heck, most of us don't even know until we're in our mid 40s or 50s what it is we even want to do, right? So, 
but mm-hmm. I think based on what I know of you and I've heard and read about you, uh, I think you're really in your element right now and doing what you're meant to be doing. Yeah, so, I, I I love it. Yeah, I have yeah, a no, yeah, it shows very good days. It, it definitely shows. So I always like to start off our interviews by asking, how do you keep your mind and body and spirit healthy and fit? And then as a second part, do you participate in any morning rituals or routines that may be non-negotiables for you? Mm, Great questions. Well, I have been doing better. I will say I ebb and flow some weeks or months or dare I say years. I am working a lot, eating a lot of takeout, (laughs) and watching a lot of Netflix in the evenings to fry my brain. (laughs) Recently, though, I've been getting really good, and I'm proud of it. So I've taken a ballet again, which was always my sport growing up. And so I'm my (laughs) my body's like, oh, right, how did we do this? So (laughs) um, the ballet classes are really great. I've... um, Also, my intro mentioned urban gardening. We have a little outdoor space, which I'm very grateful for being in New York City. So just planting, trimming, growing a little tomato bushes, that really feeds feeds me in all sorts of nourishing ways. And then as for a routine, you know, I have – well, actually, now she's eight years old, an eight-year-old daughter who – it's really her routine. (laughs) It's like the swim classes and the – um, getting her from here to there when I can. And, but it's joyful. It's like, it's, it's great. Um, so that feeds me as well. Nice. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, talk about taking on careers or not careers, but, um, hobbies, I guess, and passions. And later in life, I just started back at voice classes, you know, Ooh. and I won't say how old I am. But <laughs> it's, it's been interesting. And, you know, your, your vocal cords don't uh, work quite the same as when you're younger, but it, it's, it's coming along. It's coming along. So it's, it's nice. Hey, it's nice to find those passions later in life. Right. And return to what we were really passionate about maybe in our younger years. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah. So to open up our conversation, I have a three part question for you. So let's okay. just jump right in. So firstly, why is building employee engagement challenging for most organizations, especially in today's hybrid climate? So I'll read out the rest of the questions and we can revisit them. Secondly, like what are the challenges you see in how we've designed work to date that maybe inhibits engagement? And then lastly, as a third part of this question, how have you maybe helped organizations optimize employee engagement? So again, the first question is, why is building employee engagement challenging for most organizations, especially in this complex hybrid environment that we find ourselves in today? Yeah, great question. And lots of answers. Where I'll start is that I've recently gotten this bee in my bonnet, if you will, that the way we the way we think about work fundamentally, is wrong. And let me dive into that loaded statement there. That so often we think of work as extractive, that the employer is buying your time, is going to empty you of that resource of the, any sort of skills or talents or whatever you have in your brain or what you can do with your hands. When you're done emptying yourself, then they will pay you in return for that. And People have come to think the same thing. You know, when whenever we say, 
oh, it's Monday or, oh, I've just made it to Wednesday. Is it only Wednesday or, ah, thinking, you know, TGIF, it's Friday. It's all coming from a place of I'm draining myself through the week just so that I could have, you know, your typical two days on the weekend to fill yourself up again. And I just think it doesn't have to be that way that, you know, if we really think about what work is at its most basic, it's you creating something of value that's going to make someone else's life better in some way, because otherwise they wouldn't give you money to do it. And like, what a beautiful thing, like what a beautiful way to use your time on this planet that you could create something that makes someone else's life better. So if we start from that premise, work can be invigorating, enlivening, challenging. And I'd, you know, I'd venture to guess that anyone who works has at least some moments of it feeling satisfying. But because we have this mostly pervasive notion that, oh, work is, you know, hard, sucks, and we just get over it, we we sort of start to believe that that's just the case, that like work isn't supposed to be fun. That's why it's called work, they say. But um, but I think if we can, you know, this is at my most philosophical, if we can rethink about, you know, reconfigure what work is to us, then employee engagement comes naturally because it's fun to do, to make people happy. It's fun to be proud of your work. It's fun to mostly work with colleagues um, to get things done. And so I think if we start with that as a premise, it's so much easier than to think about driving engagement. Yeah. And let me just jump in there. I th- I love that. And I love where this conversation is headed already. And do you think, where do things fall off the rails in your opinion? Do you think it may be that right from the get-go, there was misalignment between, you know, we come back to Simon Sinek, start with your why. Like maybe there's just not the right fit right fit to the job, right fit to the culture between the employee and the organization? Or is that, you know, the environment, the culture just does not fit? Or again, thirdly, maybe it's just unrealistic expectations and demands. You know, there was a really good fit. They love their work, but it just became too much. And then it's just we're we're living for the weekend sort of thing, as you said. You know, and I know maybe that's hard to really specifically answer, but, you know, in your, what's your instinct around that? Hmm. Could be lots of things. You know, I'm a big believer that, also based on my intro, clearly I'm a big believer that there's no one right way to have a career, nor should you want the same things throughout your life. And maybe you want a different career, a different um, schedule, a different work setup. Maybe there's um, your passions change, your interests change, your skills change over the course mm-hmm. Um of your life. And so if we think individually about any one particular person who's not feeling engaged is just like wishing away their week, mm-hmm. then, you know, we sort of zoom down from the philosophical, like work should be a good thing into that very specific situation. And then, you know, we ask all those questions about, well, why isn't it filling you up? Mm-hmm. Is it that you're not feeling pride? And if not, why? Is it that you're not enjoying the humans around you? And if not, why? Is it that you're working too much or dare we say too little? And then why? Like, what are, what are those things? Because it it is mostly what I, like, I really feel like it's possible for anyone 
to find joy in work. Yeah. It's just may not be where you are right now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's a lot of discussion today. And, you know, this goes back to my work in organizational design and development and, uh, and, and yours, of course. And maybe like in your work, in your roles as a consultant with organizations, do you go in and help them around engagement or help them address the very things we're talking about? Like maybe there's not alignment or a misfit or maybe um, whatever it is that's creating low engagement, you know, and then just something else to to think on and answer perhaps is we're hearing a lot about today and, and we have for years, but it's really coming to the forefront around leveraging our employees' skill sets. And one way we can do that is to really, you know, um, job rotation and cross-training and really tapping in so they don't get maybe bored with what they're doing, that they can flex their muscles and skills in other ways. So, we're, you know, again, that was a lot just coming out there, but are these some of the areas that you might get involved with with organizations and helping them in these areas? Yeah. And, you know, usually the first place we would start is thinking about an EVP or an employer employee value. Hmm, is it, you know, actually, I don't know. Employer value proposition. Employee, employee value. value. Yeah. Employee value. Yeah. I do work all the time and I it never could be really employer, thought about it. I guess, but in, maybe in the, <laughs> yeah. yeah, in this context, maybe we, we spoke about it in our book as well, employee value proposition. That's right. It is value. Yes. From the employer to the employee. Um, glad we sorted that out. <laughs> uh, yeah. So a lot of times we, we start there to say, as a company is the company really really clear about what its vision is what its values are what the work is that it produces uh what what success looks like you know that's oftentimes the vision of the company um what its policies are mm -hmm. because the even if those answers are wildly different company to company as they should be what really matters is truth in advertising Solve, it solves so many problems of employee engagement and retention. If you can be really, really clear up front about this is who we are, this is where we're going, this is what we want to achieve, this is how we want to achieve it, then you're, it's so much more likely you're going to attract the people who also want those things for right. themselves. And it's okay if it's, you know, we want these things and we work a ton. We are we are working all the time. There's not a lot of balance. To me, it's not a place I would work, but to me, that's okay if you're honest about it because you'll find and some someone. Some employees are really energized by that level sure. of activity, right? And others are not. How maybe have you helped organizations optimize employee engagement? Does any particular company, you know, and again, you don't have to name them, but any client example come to mind? A real success, a real win for you and your organization? Uh, yeah. So we do work. Everywhere from, you know, at the highest level, sort of a, a north star for culture, which sometimes comes in the form of a like a a tagline or sort or or its values or some so or the EVP. So maybe sometimes it's declarative. Sometimes though, we work like further into the like the daily workings of the organization. More we call it middleware, but more around like policies around. Um, pay or time off or like sometimes we get more into that mm -hmm. um i can give uh in lieu of um sharing specific client names i can sure. give some very yeah, specific examples sure. of things mm -hmm. that we did though yeah. um so one for example is diving into flexibility around time off one of the things that we 
experimented with is what if you gave people like two or three months off every, however, few years, almost like a in more regular sabbatical? Mm-hmm. Would you, and this was for an employer that was highly, highly se- selective, needed very technically trained masters of their craft. It was very unique. So they, mm-hmm. they, they really needed top talent or their business was not going to work at all. That was just sort of the market they were in. And so we were experimenting with how can you like break the mold of what's normal? And would those people come back after their sabbaticals even more enlivened, even more committed? And this came from um, actually the COO of that organization had taken two months off to go sailing around the Caribbean with his family and came back and was like a whole like was so dedicated engaged vibrant happy because he had that time and so when then we started to think about extrapolating that and of course you know then it's like, well how are we going to afford this do we need more headcount in order to take over for, you know so there's all like we've done a, you know work that really gets down into the weeds of like how do we make this yeah the real feasible logistics of it all for sure exactly but um, and so that's like its whole other can of worms. Yeah. But uh, but what I thought was really exciting is that there's there's so many more ways to structure work than the very typical way most companies do, where you have a full time arrangement, it's forty or forty five hours a week, you get X numbers of weeks of vacation or unlimited time off, but everyone sort of knows that this many weeks of vacation are appropriate. And you get a few national holidays, but it doesn't have to be that way. Like it, it there's so many different types of ways to structure work. Yeah, and I think we're of... finding that now too, in terms of the, the acceptance of the four day work week. And they did that big pilot sure. over in the, you know, over in the UK or wherever. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm hearing interviews on the radio now about it. And so, just before we move on, then, uh, if you can mm-hmm. speak to this, do you find that, you know, you're based in New York, so. What's your sense of the organizational acceptance of four-day work week, say, in your area and or clients you're working with? Is there a shift now to maybe doing a four-day work week in this new, you know, hybrid environment we yeah. find ourselves in? I so wish I could say yes, but the answer is no. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm being honest. Well, and it's not just like all the clients that we work with. I mean, we're so lucky. We work with clients who are as much driven by humanity as they are by performance and so are just naturally inclined to think this way i have loved the studies coming out on four-day work weeks um you know of all places i grew up with a friend whose mother worked for the um, government who worked for health and human services and they had this four-day work week option from a long time ago she got full pay albeit she was supposed to work like longer days Mm -hmm. four days a week and then she had friday Um, but like, I just thought it was hilarious. The government of all places was yeah, like really. the pioneer in this. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little bit funny. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. You know, but I, I think there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more openness to different kinds of work. And I hope it just takes time for people to wrap their brains around it. But, um, but for example, like right now at SYP, I am 50%. And um, I am because I have caregiving responsibilities for my daughter, but also for my father um, I'm in that sandwich generation, right. so lovingly called. And so because this is what I need at this, it won't be forever. It, it'll be for some time. But yeah. um, 
but it's been amazing because SYP um, has sort of helped me and actually two other partners as well set up this sort of flexible agreement. And, yeah. you know, so it comes with 50% of the pay, but, but to me, but you know, it's like, it, I, it yeah. works, it's worth it. And I bet, you know, aside from the pay, and that's always, you know, a compromise, right. Um, that we have to make, but do you find that, you know, having that 50% of your time off away from the office now, you come back so much more like you're the CEO you talked about, like more revived and just bringing new insights and just, yeah, just a different energy into your, your job. Yeah. Oh, I feel like a much better. So they're probably getting, now. you know, yeah. uh, maybe three, quarter, <laughs> yeah. three quarters they're getting of a time out of you, right? <laughs> then, yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, great. I love it. So, so we've talked about hybrid policies and hybrid work environments. So how might organizations better design their hybrid policies and norms that might in fact support and help optimize, you know, all that we've been discussing so far and really what does then a thriving, a thriving hybrid culture look like and how does it contribute to, you know, my wheelhouse, like employee and organization well-being and engagement? So again, let's talk about, you know, uh, how we design our hybrid policies and norms, right? And how does that really support healthy work cultures and healthy employees? Well, um, this question runs the gamut from philosophy to policies. So I'll start with the philosophy, which is I strongly believe that to be successful as an employer and to engage your employees and make sure that they are engaged and happy, you have to start with the premise that your employees can be trusted. And in fact, you do trust them. Full stop. Like that just has to be the backbone of every other policy and, um, you know, workplace norm that comes. When you don't start with that, when you start with the premise that we don't trust our employees and if there is not oversight, they will screw us over or not work as hard, that's when you get yourself into trouble. And so that's where a lot of the, like, well, we need to see you here and you need to be in the office even though you're on Zooms all day. And then you have resentful employees and they're not actually more productive. That's where all of this starts. starts. Uh, to start with the premise that you trust employees, though, does not mean a foregone conclusion that everyone is remote and never coming into the office. Because also you have to believe that there is intrinsic value in working together and being social with your colleagues. Maybe not for everybody. Maybe someone just doesn't ever want to come to the office, which I respect. But for a vast majority of people, they will. They'll find value in whiteboarding with someone. They'll find value in having coffee. Um, you know, I'm in the office today, partially because I'm recording this, but also I had a lunch with a colleague, which was amazing. And so I think if you start with the premise that employees can be trusted and they find value in being together at times, it makes it so much easier to make flexible work policies that work for everyone, for the company and for individuals. So at SYP, we have no mandated, you know, be in Tuesday through Thursday or one day a week, we're going to check your badge swipes, like none of that. And yet our office still has plenty of people in it every day. We also have options to work remotely, um, what we call like a national, or you can even work globally in some scenarios. And what I love about it is it just kind of works out because I 
work from home when I need to work from home because I'm doing something. I come into the office when I can and when it's joyful and when people are in town. And when everybody is doing that, you like the employees, the employers, you're on the same page because ultimately you do want the same things. You want to do productive, valuable work among people that you respect and enjoy. And you want to create impact from which comes money. Like it, there's really no fundamental difference here if you can just sort of work together on these policies. If I may then, um, you know, leverage your experience here and your expertise. If you had a client who was a micromanager in this new space and you could see their real dysfunction, right, happening there, like what would be one piece of advice you might give him or her? What it comes down to, the reason people micromanage there's a few of them. One, it fundamentally comes down to a lack of trust, mm -hmm. which is not necessarily unfounded, I should say. So if that leader has a lack of trust and therefore needs a lot of oversight, wants to see everything, tweak everything, you know, nothing goes past me, the kind of attitude, then what I would do is, you know, I talk to that leader about like, well, let's just diagnose that lack of trust. Is that it's possible that there's some people on the team who are not a good fit. They're underperforming for some reason. They don't have the right skill sets or they're not in the right role. Or they don't have the right support. Now, if that's the case, why you need to micromanage because their work is not coming out well and you need to fix it, then, okay, then great. At least we know. And then you can dive into a conversation either about performance management letting someone go, which I always think is the kinder thing to do than stringing someone along for years. Or reassign and, you know. them to another department or area. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, here, yeah, happy birthday is this other <laughs> um, Right. And, and then you figure out a plan. You figure out support. You, you know, and then the idea is that their work is stronger, thereby reducing the need of the manager to micromanage. I often wonder, too, and just maybe you can comment before we move on, is mm -hmm. that a case of, um, you know, you may have heard of uh, the results-oriented work environment, the role concept, yes. right? Mm -hmm. Where we're managing by goals and objectives and not managing by the time clock, you know, or coming into the office necessarily or what have you. And I wonder sometimes if it's just the case of a couple of things. One, the manager just hasn't really scoped out the job well enough and really clearly you know, with the employees identified and delineated what clear deliverables are, you know, and when they want them by, right? And, you know, that might be part of it. And and because they haven't done that, they feel they got to be, you know, have a lot of oversight and really, you know, helping them get to the finish line when sometimes they don't even know what the finish line is, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, what they want out of it and when they want to buy it. And I think sometimes it often comes down to just not, and you know this, right? being in the role, um, just not taking the time that due diligence up front to do that really critical strategic planning and needs analysis and everything, and really getting clear as a team or between yourself and your employee, what, what the, the deliverables are and how that's going to move the needle for the project or your organization or whatever. So yeah. Any, any yeah. comments on that or thoughts on that? Sure. I mean, I think that's another potential diagnosis, right? Like, so maybe it's not a underperformer, maybe it's a high performer who's just confused because What's they don't know. Yeah. Right. Like, I don't, what am I going for? You know, either confused yeah. about the goal or like the context, you know, leaders oftentimes, I think they forget that they have so much context that people yes. on their teams do not because they, they just the assume leaders, maybe that they right. know it when they don't. Right. We, we know we should never mm -hmm. assume things. Right. And and you may have already said this, but a lot of times it just comes down to communication as well, right? Communicating and being really openly 
open communicator. And then also, you know, having that proverbial open door policy where if they're not sure, just speak up and ask, right? And that there's that level of trust that I trust my employees if they don't know what's expected of them, that they will come to me. So you are writing a book. And we're yeah, just trying to. Trying to. <laughs> yeah, well, having just written a book, uh, I can I can give you lots of advice if you want it. <laughs> but you, you uh, shared with me, and I think this will be sort of the premise or foundation, if I got that correct for your book, which are the 10 rules of work. Yeah. So I was looking through them. Can you share with our listeners what they might be and maybe a little teaser, if you will, into your book? Oh, sure. So the... The premise of the book is actually sort of what we opened with, that so often we think about work as fundamentally extractive, and it does not need to be that way. That my mission is to help more people find joy in their work and to make work a source of joy, while also putting work in its place. <laughs> that, you know, it doesn't need to run your life at all time. It can be a beautiful, beautiful part of your work uh, or part of your life. Yeah. So. I captured 10 rules of work that came from just both my own insights on how I want to spend my days on this planet and also just doing all this client work of where I saw the most engaged workforces and what was true about them. So uh, I can read off a few. One is most work, most days should be fun. I'm a big fan of the word most because yeah, sometimes it's not fun and sometimes you have bad days and that's fine. But but mostly I really believe it should be fun. And, and good days and should outweigh the, the more challenging ones, right? Yeah, you should you know feel like that was a good day. You know, the, the beautiful, I think, Mary Oliver quote, I think it is how we spend our, no, I'm going to mix up the authorship, but um, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. Yeah, so, and so-, so yeah. Go, okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no. So, yeah. So if we're spending, you know, five sevenths of our lives at work until we retire, those should better be good days. Yeah. And what do you do at SYP to bring fun to the workplace? Oh, lots of things. Um, I can give, uh, I can give a, a few examples, or maybe I'll give one in particular. Yeah. Um, we, we do something called a do-nothing day every once in a while. It's not literally that we're doing nothing, but we are producing nothing on those days. And we we schedule these days usually into like at least once over the course of a project. And the idea is that when we need to be at our most creative for our clients, we need time and space and fresh air to be able to let our brains breathe and come up with our very best ideas. So this all came to be because we were working on one project and we were designing this global week-long experience for a client, for all of their employees. And it had better be good because that's a lot of investment to make. And my colleague, um, actually the woman I had lunch with today, Sue Walsh, uh, she's the principal of design here. She said, we just can't be creative in 30 minute increments. And I was like, you're, you're right. Like that's, we can't have a brainstorm schedule for 30 minutes. So we just, we, you know, but it's our, we're humans. We just don't work that way. And so we decided to plan a day out at Little Island, which is a park in New York 
where we went as a whole team, like picnicked, um, sort of just like went down rabbit holes about what we could do for the client. We had these little, I'd written little prompts on pieces of paper. And so when we needed some new provocation, we'd, we'd pick those out. But we told ourselves we have nothing to produce, no meetings to attend. We are just brainstorming. And it was one of the best days at SYP, both productively, but also joyfully. It was such fun. I, I'm excited just hearing about it. And I think it would be, you know, gives offsite a whole new meaning, right? And uh, was there someone facilitating that whole day or did you just, you know, manage it yourselves with no particular facilitator? No, it was really just us. The, the only thing I did to prep, um, so there were different components of the experience we were creating. And so I just put those different components on little cards. So a little I cut bit out of structure to your day. It wasn't just you just sat in the park and just, you know, shoot the breeze sort of thing, right? You you had well, a little bit of a structure to the day and what you wanted to get loosely. out of it or, or did you? <laughs> okay. No, I mean, we told ourselves if we get nothing out of this day, that's fine. Okay. And we said that because there was no pressure. We believed right? our no teams, yeah. our brains just needed that. Yeah. And um, the other thing I did, I don't know if you know Oblique Strategies, but it's this um, little card deck with really ridiculous prompts like, um, you know, like let, let there be pauses. Uh, this is a, let's see. Um, it's a deck that you can order um, right. by Brian Eno and Peter Schmidt um, uh, to help them with their music back in the day. But we brought some of those, like these okay. ridiculous. But it was mostly just thought, like freeing ourselves from. And did you come up say, with like some the... good ideas at the end of the day? That did you achieve the objective of maybe getting really creative and coming up with some creative solutions for your client at the end of well, the day? Well, we did, but we had to trick ourselves into doing that. So we <laughs> okay. had to tell ourselves no pressure to come up with the best idea ever. Right. And you know what happened is we came up with the best idea ever, <laughs> as it usually does. So, right. Yes. the The idea that we came up with during that day ended up being the most highly rated part of the experience oh, that we delivered yeah. for the client like far and away. It was pretty epic. Um, but it's all because we had to tell ourselves this is a day of connection, inspiration, fun. It's, you know, it's like hacking our own psychology right. um, because our, you know, our brains get nervous when we were like, oh, I have to run to the next meeting. And you did it away from the site where there's no, you know, that confines of the office and just even that energy and you're out in fresh air. I mean, who doesn't get creative minded? I mean, most of my ideas come when I'm out walking in the fresh air, right? Yeah, And there's just so many positive elements to that day that I could certainly see how you got to that creative space and that, you know, um, ideas. And then, um, so just to wrap up a few, I, I, so the joy I think you had is number one. I don't know if that's, a, you know, the one that you've top of your list, but then you talk about camaraderie, quality, belonging, adventure, humanity, flexibility, balance, perspective and meaning being the the 10 rules of work and uh i bet it was probably even a challenge just to come up with 10 you know to really limit it to 10 <laughs> right um but i think they i would definitely have to agree they would probably be ones i would pick as well and you know if i had to pick one the joy because i don't think there is in some organizations, there's reportedly no joy <laughs> and others, we certainly could really elevate the the level of joy to really, um, you know, bring joy to our lives and joy to our work, but then ultimately to create good work, right? And you just gave a prime example of how you did that through one day, you know, a one day activity and, and what, it, yeah. result, what mm -hmm. it resulted in. I think that's wonderful. In your book overview, 
you say, while the war for talent may ebb and flow with the unemployment rate, the war for top talent is always hot. The irony is that if indi individuals are given the opportunity to work and live intentionally, organizations just might find they had more top talent all along. They were just tired maybe and a little resentful before. And then you also state that many of the millions of articles, books, podcasts, and the topic of work are helping us optimize a broken system. I thought that was kind of profound, a broken system. I really had to sit back and think about that. And, and, you know, how to, you know, we're looking at how to make endless hours of Zoom meetings more efficient or how to offer growth opportunities to a bench of disaffected employees when often based on the belief that to do better is to find new ways to extract more value from longer days or how to just offer just enough, but no more. So again, there's a lot there, but, um, you know, as I'm reading all that, you know, um, and in the context of, you know, the concept of joy, right? Mm -hmm. You know, what comes to mind? And, and I had a question here, like, do you think there's much joy in organizations today? And and in the context of the audience that I'm largely speaking to perhaps here, you know, our workplace wellness professionals and organizational leaders, you know, how can they help nurture and proliferate joy within their employees, within their broken organizations, if you will, and also in the context today with the climate of so much uncertainty with layoffs and, you know, grappling with everything we just went through in the past three years and trying to find our way again, we're in a very dynamic, complex and, you know, uncertain times. Mm -hmm. We always are, but I think more so today than ever before, right? We're trying to make sense of what the last three years were all about, yeah. right? So, so, you know, some organizations may certainly be broken or have broken systems. So again, coming back, I really want to just zone in and dial in on the concept of joy. You know, anything yeah. that's come to mind about how we can just fundamentally bring more joy into our lives, into our work, into our organizations? Yeah. Well, two things come to mind. One is a bit of perspective. And two is I can tell a story about a little, probably the best oh, thing I ever did at SYP. Do tell, do tell. So, um, well, the, the first, just a little bit of perspective. Whenever I'm feeling joyless, or if I'm like coaching a friend through just feeling joyless at work, the first thing I try and do is just back up and think, we only have so many days on the planet. It's all okay. <laughs> like, I think, um, you know, I shared I was the caregiver for my father and my mother passed away last year, you know, like it would for, I think most people sort of stimulates a sense of existential dread at worst, but also like a real spirit of perspective that even when I have a bad day, I'm able to sort of back up and realize like it's going to be fine. And the more tenured I become in my career, the more I've been through the ups and downs, like I know what it is to lose millions of dollars worth of work. I know what it is to win millions, you know, like some sometimes it's just a little bit of perspective can help tamp down the stress, which then allows you to see where there was joy all along. So that's my bit of philosophy. Um, the best thing, maybe the best thing I ever did at SYP <laughs> in my opinion, um, a few years ago. So this was December 2020. 
um, beginning slash height of the pandemic, um, I was sort of pinch hitting um, as a partner to the HR team uh, when we were thinking about what could we do for sort of for like an end of year ritual, a little bit of like reflection. Um, and is there like a little gift that we could give people? Because it had been so hard at that point. And so we put together this little mailer that was going out to every employee and it had this reflection journal in it and some pens and stickers, a little bit of swag. Uh, and it was meant to be a reflection on the year and a little bit into like, you know, performance review reflection time. But um, we were intent on bringing some humanity, some joy to that box as well. And so one of the things we included was this little ta table tent card about the size of a business card, but, you know, sort of stands up like a tent. Uh, you can put it on your desk. And on it, we printed, you are doing great. That's it. And sent that to everybody. And whether or not anyone was felt like they were doing great, I really believed, I think SYP leadership, we all really believed that like this was really, really hard to work through a pandemic and we are doing great. Yeah, absolutely. We are in business. We are serving our clients. We are still here together. And I cannot tell you how many people have told me after that, it's several years ago, I still look at my little oh, table man. tent. You are doing and I great. I bet it's still sitting on their desks. Yeah. I mean, our CEO told me that she, she took it when, um, she like commutes back and forth from Portugal now. So she is, and she moved it to Portugal with her okay. and, and I still have mine on my desk. I yeah. get told all the time. And I share that example that, you know, the, the best thing I did for SYP was like a little business sized card. You think about everything you've done for that organization, yet something so seemingly maybe insignificant or just so little could have such a profound impact. And it's, that's just so true. And I, I can relate. I have a little light on my desk and I said, I type on it a little stand that goes over the light. It says, all will be okay. In the end, exactly. all will be okay, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes we just need that that grounding, that reminder, those those little prompts, those little visual symbols or reminders, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. I, lo I love that. I just so love that. Um, so wrapping up with a couple more questions, and I could probably spend right. hours, but I know you've got a busy day. We both do. We have to move on, but... <laughs> You know, if there's one practice you think all teams might start today to really create a healthier work culture, so we're thinking now as a team entity, what might it be? I have an easy answer for that. Something I believe all teams should do every day is, well, we call it a finger shoot, or you can call it a check-in, or um, there's various different names for it I've called over my career, but here's how it goes. And then I'll explain why I think it's so important. So at the top of the day with your team, you say, how is everybody doing? Or some people say, what are you bringing with you? How, how are you doing in this moment? On a scale of zero to five, one, two, three, and everybody puts up their hand. So five fingers up, or you could put a fist if you're doing really poorly that day, or a three. And then you run around the room and each person says, why? Now, if you are the kind of person that does not want to share personal details or about your life, it's fine. You say, I'm, I'm a three, I'm a four, doing great. That's all okay. But so many people want to be 
their more full human selves at work. And so we hear things like, oh, my brother's in town, but would you believe it? He didn't call me for two days and he was in town and like, ugh, my brother, you know, things like that. We, we heard all about, uh, on one team, a colleague of mine who had bought a house in California and all of the laws around clipping your hedges because of the fires. I know more now about like, <laughs> I bet. um, all, yeah. Uh, you know, we just, you get to hear about people's lives. You can well, say it, like, it's I'm like stressed bringing, about work. Yeah. We're bringing, it, it's opening the door to bring our whole selves to work. We hear that cliche, right? But you really, that's exactly what you're, you're facilitating there, right? Yeah. And for those who want, again, like I'm very pro, if you just want to show up for to sure. your job and do a good a job of it, you yep. say I'm a three and I'm great. But, yep. but yeah, the, I think why it's so important is we so often start work without even at a baseline saying, hello, how are you? Yes. yes. And this is, you know, and we're so trained, I think, especially in the U.S., to be like, oh, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> and, you? And you carry on. But really just taking the time to do that does not take a long time. You know, if you do it with a team, it, uh, I mean, depending on the size of the team, but, you know, you run around 30 seconds a person. Yep. And that more than anything else has, I have seen, have extraordinary impact on psychological yeah. safety, on engagement, on retention, on all those things that you'd want to measure it's and it's so fundamental. Like people just want to have a moment during the day where their team is looking at them and they can say how they are. I love it. And and just for those who have our book, um, we do actually you do uh, describe that activity and how to do it in the book. So there you go. Get a copy of the book and you'll have step by step of how they do that. And and it's a really great reminder through your profile in the book because sometimes we forget all these great things that we hear about in podcasts and what have you. And so that's another way to. Uh, to anchor into that for sure. Is there um, another simple tool or ritual that has outsized impact on culture from your experience? Now, this is one of your questions. So what comes to mind there when I ask you that? Oh, as, um, as a second tool. So if you're doing your like fist of five check-ins every day, um, the other one that's great is what we sometimes call the user manual or like a team guide, which is just at the start of any project, putting together the answers to a series of questions that sound like I'm most engaged, engaged at work when dot, dot, dot. When I'm stressed out, you can tell because dot, dot, dot. If I need support, this is what I like support to look like dot, dot, dot. You can make up whatever questions you want. It can be, this is how I handle a crisis. This is what I'm working on, trying to get better on at work. I usually ask, too, who are the humans or animals that are important in your life? Just nice. to get to know, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, and so often in Zoom land, too, you get to meet all of the well, humans and animals. Well, I just mentioned Zoom because I wanted to mention in your last uh, response that all that, what we're talking about, the finger shoot and everything, they can all be done through like a Zoom meeting, right? It doesn't have to be oh, absolutely. on site. And oh, we no. can use things like breakout groups in Zoom or the chat feature to, you know, elaborate on why we're only feeling like a two or the person can come on camera if they wished. Right. And sure. Yeah. The other thing just to add to that as well, for those, again, coming back to our book is we talk about employee wellness circles and both of the examples you gave, I think, are great activities that can be done within a, you know, more informal employee wellness circle. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, love it. Love it. Love it. Um, So. To help wrap up then, as a concluding question, would like to come back to the leaders for a minute and, and hear your thoughts and experiences on how leaders 
can increase creativity in the workplace as part of the healthy, productive culture. And, you know, maybe we can throw fun into the mixer as well. Like, you know, so what role can leaders play or what could they do or anything comes to mind, uh, you know, of something that maybe, you know, someone in your organization as a leader or leaders you've worked with in other organizations have done to really elevate the creativity and really opened up a creative space. I don't know if it's intuitive or totally counterintuitive, but my answer to this is to change your calendar structure because so often our calendars are what drives where we are. Like I know that I like I mostly look at my calendar every day and it tells me where to go. It's like my <laughs> my commander in chief. Die by our calendars. <laughs> yeah, I'm like what do I do next? All right, well better check, you know, it's yeah. going to tell me what to do and where to go. Yeah. And because our calendars drive so much of our days and who we talk to, when we talk to them, they have a disproportionate effect on how our brains can show up well. And our brains don't show up equally well across across the span of a day, across the span of a week. You know, as I mentioned before, um, my colleague Sue saying we can't be creative in 30-minute increments. It's mm-hmm. just... You can't even like settle into a generative place and, you know, because you're like, oh, I've got something else to go to. And so to inspire more creativity, I think the first thing to do is to create more white space Mm. in people's calendars. And there's lots of ways to do it. So you could literally um, Shopify famously recently swept all their meetings of however, five people or more. And they're like, we'll put them back if you want. But it was sort of a, like, let's just clear everything away and see what's really necessary. Um, This can also happen too, because you're clearing away some of the like inessential tasks or like trying to stop doing some things just so that there's a little breathing space. That really doesn't lead to much in the end, right? It's, you know what it is? It's like, it's just weeding um, like you would in a garden. Like your plants are not going to grow healthy and vibrant if you've got a bunch of weeds around because they're sucking all the nutrients. That that probably doesn't happen for that very fact that we're on that treadmill going at, you know, 90 miles an hour and we just don't take the time as leaders or employees or a team to say, hey, we need to press the pause button here and get off this treadmill or this roller coaster and just really figure out what's important and how can we, again, taking your day in the park. Maybe we just need to break free from this organizational confines of four walls and get out there and, you know, just have a day where we can just really re-envision things, right? Exactly. And, you know, that's hard to do as an employee because it takes, it's hard to do for anyone, mm-hmm. but to really clear calendars, some amount takes power it takes literal power to say it is a, we are getting rid of this meeting i say it's okay don't attend that thing that is okay because mostly people want to do a good job so they're going to show up where they've been invited to it's only natural and so you know that's why it's so important for leaders in particular to think about how their teams are spending their time because that is that is your entire business yeah. if you are you know employing however many dozen people, hundreds of thousands of people, how how they're spending their time is how you are making a business. Well, and I so there's that. nothing more important. I love that. And just to add on, as we wrap up, you know, I talk about in the book and uh, the concept around visible permission. And I'll bring it in the context now of, you know, 
putting on our oxygen mask during the day to take care of our self-care, right? However Mm -hmm. that looks, right? And I use another example to further extrapolate around um, employees or leaders who say, oh, I don't have time to participate in a wellness offering or a wellness lunch and learn or whatever, because I'm just too busy. Well, my suggestion or argument would be that, well, then you are probably the person who really needs to go to this event because you sound like you just need that time to decompress and really recharge your batteries and come back after lunch, just so refreshed and renewed, have a good time, have a laugh, get up. Do I do physical energizers on zoom with people and we, it's two, three minutes. We, we dance to dire straits. And we have so much fun. You know, it's like a three minute exercise, right? No brainer. But, um, you know, the the visible permission. So it comes down to, you know, as leaders, right? Um, Taking that time, strapping on your sneakers, going for a run during lunch or dropping into a wellness event and participating with your employees and having fun, right? And then that just tells your employees very clearly that we want you to take care of yourselves. And that might mean, taking an hour and a half during the day. I used to work years ago at Mobile Oil um, here in Canada on a work term. And I said to the uh, new student, you know, just fresh in university, and we strapped on our shoes. And we after we went to the gym down the road, company gym, and we came back and I was like a half hour past my lunch break. And I thought, oh my God, am I going to be fired? And the gal who was a mentor to me said, no, 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 Lisa, we don't worry about it. We want you to go out, disconnect for lunch. If it means you take an extra 20 minutes to get a soup at the deli on the way back, so be it. We know you'll get your work done. Now, do you want to know what impact that had on me, you know, Mm. from a very early age in my career? And I'm still talking about it to this day, right? Mm -hmm. Right? So that's what we want. That's what we want to see more of in our organizations, right? And hopefully hopefully we can can get there. So, Brie, this has been just a joy. I knew it would be. And, you know, is there anything else you'd like to share or add that maybe we haven't addressed or that you'd like just to put a plug in for with your work or your company or your book or? Sure. Well, um, to learn more. So uh, to learn more about me, I have a website, breegroff.com, B-R-E-E-G-R-O-F-F.com. That's me. And to learn more about my company, SY Partners, where I work, that's S-Y Partners, as you would imagine, dot com, um, to learn more about our transformation work. Um, with leaders and um, our work in culture as well. And uh, I try and write a thing or two on LinkedIn uh, as I go. So feel free to connect with me there. Yeah, your your articles are just always so brilliant. And they just always oh, make me you. think like, I don't know if they just moments of inspiration come to you, but you're very prolific. And I love how you, you know, you write your, your messages and get your thoughts down. Um, you know, if you were to give, and I know we never talked about this, but just to wrap up here, if you were to give one piece of advice, to organizations in this, you know, post-pandemic environment we're in, what might it be? If I, let's see, if I had to maybe just pick a word, I think it would be grace in that it's, it is a hard world out there. Everyone's trying their best. Employees want, like, I don't know a single employee who's like, I'm going to do a terrible job. No, like people, people want to do a good job, you know? So it's understanding, it's empathy, it's, and that goes two ways, like employees to employers to understand that leadership is hard and there are trade-offs and it is tricky and messy and leaders are doing the best that they can and they want to keep everyone happy and employed that, you know, everyone's on the same side, really. And and so I think the more that organizations um, and their people can just give a little grace to each other. To each other. Yeah. 
I, I, as an executive wellness coach, and I'm moving more in the space of working with executives around stress and burnout. Um, I think sometimes as employees, like we, we got to step back and realize that our managers, our leaders, our executives, they're people too, right? Oh, for sure. And as yeah. much as we can point blame or fingers at them, they're humans and they have so much on their plate, so many, um, you know, goals and, and achievements and, and everything that they have to help foster, you know, in the run of a day, week, year that again, we, we, yeah, I love that word grace. I think, as you said, it really needs to go both ways, right? Yes. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I do. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much. I knew this would be a really, um, fill your cup kind of day for me (laughs) and hopefully for our listeners. And, uh, you've given us a lot to consider and again, uh, you can learn more about Bree's brilliant insights and some of her tactical activities through her profile in our book, Cultivating Healthy and Vibrant Workplaces. And also be watching for upcoming episodes of our podcast, which is now a monthly series, as I mentioned in our last episode. And you can find that through our website, workplacewellnesscoe.com or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. So thanks again, Bree. It's been so much fun. You know, um, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. I know that you have a lot of options out there to listen to. Um, so, you know, thank you. We really do appreciate it. And and stay healthy, stay well. And as I like to say, keep on keeping it real. <laughs> Bye for now. Bye, Bree. Thanks again. Bye. Thank you so much.